Hello everyone, welcome to Mr. Birdman's Movie Reviews, and today we're going to be getting Season 2 underway here. Thank you everybody very much for your patience, and today we're going to be uh, continuing, the, continuing the Home Alone saga uh, by reviewing the third sequel in the franchise, Home Alone 3, which was released in December of 1997. Uh, the film is not direct, was not directed by Chris Columbus this time around, but rather by Raja Gosnell, who was actually, a, who was actually an editor on the previous two films, and then he was also an editor on other films for 20th Century Fox, aside from Home Alone, uh, most notably Mrs. Doubtfire. Uh, the film Home Alone 3 was also again written by was also again written by uh, the late great John Hughes, and I also just uh, wanted to take this time to actually point out uh, where John Hughes was like right around the time that this film that this film had gotten released, because um, like after. Uh, his very successful career in the teen market and focusing on adult films and family films, he kind of sort of like faded from the back faded from the background or like he had like a real quiet exit. I don't think he ever really had like a final like send off. I mean, <clears throat> he really wasn't directing uh, so much. He was basically just writing now. Um, in fact, like some of his films, he actually didn't even use his own name, and he used like a um, he would use the pseudonym of Edmond Dantes, which is a a character from the uh, from the the book, I should say, uh, the Count of Monte Cristo. Now, whenever a, a, whenever a director or a writer um, use, uses a pseudonym uh, when they're be, being part of a film. They use a pseudonym. That usually means that they really don't want to be associated with the project. And let's just uh, before we dive into Home Alone three, let's take a look back at some of his other films in between. In between the time he did Home Alone two and Home Alone three, so one of the films that he did was um, Baby's Day Out, which as of this episode I have not seen. Uh, it was a it was a failure critically and financially, though surprisingly. As of this recording, it's the highest grossing film in India of all places. Yeah, because when you think of a film, uh, especially like worldwide and like other countries, you would immediately assume that their highest grossing films would be like, you know, something like Star Wars or The Avengers. But no, Baby's Day Out, which I find to be very, very fascinating. Um, another film that he did was uh, Dennis the Menace, uh, which... From what I remember, I mean, I haven't watched it in a very long time, but from what I remember, Dennis the Menace was okay. I mean, it wasn't horrible, but at the same time, it really wasn't a film that I watched constantly over and over again in my childhood. Um, then he also directed uh, the live-action 101 Dalmatians remake with uh, Glenn Close. Um, that one wasn't too bad. I, I thought it was fine. Um, I mean, good, but not really memorable, but then again, maybe I just need to watch it again. And then, of course, he did the uh, Flubber movie with uh, Robin Williams. Um, and I remember watching that one a lot as a kid. Um, I mean, just because I like Robin Williams. Um, but I really haven't watched it since I was a kid. And to my surprise, I was real, r really shocked that like it got like negative reviews. And I'm like, come on, it's Robin Williams. What are you talking about? Um, but to me, like Flubber, it's it, it's definitely one of those movies that really benefits like from having watching it like as a kid i mean like as an adult i probably 
like if I was like, let's say my age now, I just tur- turned 32 about three weeks ago. And if I were to watch it for the first time, I may not have liked it. Uh, but yeah, Flubber is definitely, it's definitely was a child, is a childhood staple and rest in peace, Robin Williams. Um, and remember earlier how I brought up like the pseudonym Edmond Dantes. Um, <laughs> he actually did that for the 1992 comedy, uh, Beethoven, um, which was the family about the fam- uh, a story about the family that adopts like that St. Bernard. And of course he wrecks havoc on the house. Yeah. It's a very silly, very kind of dumb family film. If you like Beethoven, that's fine. I myself thought it was kind of meh. I mean, yeah, me and my sister, we watched it as kids, but I mean, I think that was just mostly because it had the dog. Um, but yeah, like that's really where John Hughes was at this point in his career. And from from what I was finding in my research, I th- uh, Home Alone 3 was basically kind of uh, the last film that he did with Fox. Because like right after Home Alone became a huge box office hit, uh, 20th Century Fox uh, assigned him to like a five-picture deal. So basically Home Alone 3 was like the last of the contract. Um, cause like from what I found out in research and other films, like if a film isn't shot by a particular date, the film, the film was canceled. So more than likely it may have been written out just to do like a contract obligation. Who knows? I mean, at this point in his career, John Hughes really wasn't given a whole lot of interviews. He basically kind of stepped away from the public eye around 93 or 94, yeah, not not a whole lot of interviews. Um, he did do a, uh, a commentary for when Ferris Bueller's Day Off was released on D- DVD in 1999, but on but on since later releases, that commentary is no longer there. Um, but I definitely, but I definitely am curious as to like you know what motivated John Hughes to write Home Alone three. So the plot of this film. I don't know, like, I was, like, trying to think of some ways to, like, really, like, discuss it without re- without making it sound, like, convoluted, but I'll do my best. So, the plot of this film is about these four agents that are working for a North Korean terrorist organization. They're, they've been picked by this terrorist organization to, like, steal this, like, computer microchip. It's like a, mi- it's like a missile chip. Um... Yeah, yeah, it's like it's like a missile chip, and I guess like they could put it in like a weapon, and it like wouldn't be detected or something. Um, it, it, yeah, and then somehow it gets in, and so they they put this remote control or they put this microchip inside like this uh, remote control car, this remote control car. So they're taking it to the airport. Uh, their bag gets switched with another person who just happens to live in Chicago. It's written by John Hughes. Where else would the film take place? And so, like, they have to retrieve this chip to get it back, um, not realizing that there's an eight-year-old boy who's sick at home with the chicken pox, and he's on their tail, and, of course, traps ensue. Um, but from what I've gathered, um, when going back to the origins, uh, from the information that I was finding in regards to the trivia... Um, Home Alone 3 was originally conceived right around the time that they were filming Home Alone 2, Lost in New York. And the idea was was that 2 and 3 were going to be shot simultaneously back-to-back. But for whatever reason, that they never followed up on that. So a few years go by, and they decide to... They, they pretty much decide to have Home Alone 3 again. 
Although this time around, Culkin was much older. He, he, he was basically done with acting. A lot, of it, a lot of the films he was doing at the time really weren't box office really weren't box office hits i mean i could just like list a few of them like off the top of my hand or my head excuse me um the good son uh richie rich uh the page master uh the nutcracker getting even with dad i mean let's be honest do they really sound do these films really sound like box office smashes no so even if culkin had uh come back to star in home alone 3 i don't think it would have been as good although one of the original plots that I heard about um, about Home Alone 3 was that it was not going to focus on Kevin McAllister, but it was actually going to focus on his cousin Fuller, which was also played by Kieran Culkin. Uh, Fuller, go easy on the Pepsi. So, yeah, so basically the plot was going to be about, like, Fuller gets left behind at home, his parents go on vacation, and that, um, like, Marv and Harry were going to be back, um, but... Thankfully, Joe Pesci and Daniel Stern turned down those roles, respectively. Thank goodness. Um, e- even if even if all the the stars came aligned and um, uh, Culkin was supposed to have like a, a supporting role or a cameo in the film, um, it, it just wouldn't have been that good. I mean, come on, yeah, Harry and Marv, yeah, yes, we can all admit as Home Alone fans that those two guys aren't exactly the brightest crayons in the box, but even they wouldn't be that stupid. I mean, I mean, come on. So, <laughs> uh, one of the things uh, one of the things that I did notice about this film when I was rewatching it a couple weeks ago was like some of the lines like you could definitely tell that they were very they're very dated like you could definitely tell that this was made before the co- the coronavirus and before September 11th like there's a, there's the scene at the beginning of the film where they um the the bad guys that get the toy car. And the main guy is, and the main agent is like, "Here, hide it in the toy car. We'll slip it right past airport security." I'm like, "Yep." I'm like, "Yep." This film was definitely written before September 11th. That's for sure. Because if somebody tried to like sneak that in now, yeah, it would not be detected. The second line that I picked up that I thought was like, "Wow, this movie's very dated." Is so the bad guys get to Chicago, and they find the street in the in the neighborhood. And one of the and, and one of the bad guys is like, oh, we're we're going to search houses in, in broad daylight. And the main guy's like, it's the suburbs, Mr. Unger. Nobody's home during the day. I'm like, wow, this film was definitely made before the coronavirus. And also, they must live on like the luckiest street because due to the fact that like, uh, yeah, like that, like both parents work outside of the house, like there are no kids left at home. Or anything like that. I mean, like, clearly these bad guys, these secret agents, who are supposed to be, like, really, really smart and suave and cool or sophisticated or whatever, yeah, they're they're pretty stupid. I mean, yeah, like, with Harry and Marv, yeah, like, they were obviously stupid. But this one, it takes a little bit, it takes a little bit of time for, for us as the viewers to realize that, yeah, these guys are pretty stupid. I mean... <laughs> Uh, so um i could tell like when i was watching these because like there's four bad guys instead of two um i could definitely tell that some of them were just kind of like written in like as a last minute idea like like the main guy who i guess is supposed to be russian uh peter Beaupre, he's the leader he's the brains of the operation so to speak um he's actually the one that decides that uh that they're going to go to chicago to find this particular to find the toy car he's like it has to be on a plane 
we are going to Chicago. And I'm like, wow, what a strange, what an odd yet somewhat co- coincidental, somewhat of a coincidental decision right there. I mean, out of all the planes in all the world, like you just like automatically assumed it was Chicago. It's definitely written by John Hughes after all. Um, uh, the second one that I could definitely um, tell was kind of like a clone of Marv was um, was Unger, who's like the long haired guy. And like a lot of his lines, like you could be like, wait, how did this guy like fit in with the group? Because everybody is like so serious. And I guess Unger is supposed to be like the comic relief or comic foil of the bad guys. But he just comes off as like really stupid. Like one of his first lines, like when they're in the airport and Unger's like, when I was in the John... I didn't see anything. Oh, we're going to Chicago in the winter? I packed tropical. Okay. Yeah, so clearly he's supposed to be, I guess, the dummy. Interestingly enough, the guy who plays Unger in the film um, is married to Cindy Lauper. Go figure. Um, the other the, the other secret agents, uh, we actually have a female villain this time around, Alice Ribbons. Um, she takes like a lot of disguises and stuff. And then there's Jernigan, who... I don't know, like, to me, like, when I first saw the film, I honestly thought that it was um, the guy who played Will on Will and Grace, uh, for whatever reason. Like, th- like they look, like, kind of similar, like, in their haircuts and their mannerisms. And I'm like, no, no, that's not Will from Will and Grace. So, <laughs> I don't know, I just thought that was kind of funny. Um, so, th- so, the kid in the film, uh, Alex Pruitt, who I guess is eight years old in the film, like, they never really specify. I mean, unless they specify, I, I think he's eight, maybe nine years old. He definitely does look a, a lot younger than Culkin did. That's for sure. Um, the the one thing that I did have an issue with this character, and, and nothing against the actor himself, Alex D. Lenz. He definitely, I mean, he does a good job given the material. You can tell he's having a great time uh, in this role, and and just to be in a movie. Period. My biggest issue with the Alex character is that. He doesn't have an arc. He doesn't really change as a character. He doesn't really learn anything. What made Home Alone, and to some extent Home Alone 2, so so memorable was the fact that the character of Kevin McAllister went through a change, particularly in the first film. I mean, he went from a kid who like just wanted to be left alone and didn't like his family to realizing that, hey, it is, hey, you know, no matter how much you bicker, family is important. And they definitely change us. For, for better or for worse. And it, it really was nice to see like a kid go through that kind of arc and learning like these really important, valuable life lessons and that, hey, like as time goes on, like life really isn't that kind sometimes. Um, but this one, eh, he just doesn't really have an arc. Like, you know, he starts off the film as a nice kid. You know, he stays a nice kid like you know, as the film goes along. And by the end, he's still a nice kid. I mean, he doesn't really learn anything there's like no development whatsoever and on top of the siblings uh, because he's got two yes it's easy to point out that scarlett johansson plays his sister in the film um but honestly you could have easily cut her out and the actor who played the brother and like it wouldn't have changed the film at all i mean i'm serious like go back and watch home alone 3 again it's on disney plus by the way um i definitely made sure to look up where where the film was streaming so people could watch it because there have been times in, in in previous episodes where i say like oh go check out this film 
And then I realized that like it's not streaming or copies are hard to find. So apologies to those who listened to my Dutch review. Um, but yeah, like you could easily uh, cut the siblings out and you wouldn't have missed anything. I mean, like it wouldn't have changed the film like none whatsoever, um, which I really think it was a missed opportunity there. But then again, that's different focus. Um, I guess like a, a, a thing that like makes the film similar is that both the moms are redheads, which I hey, don't get me wrong. I love redheads. Um, so that was something that I kind of picked up. I don't know if that was like an inside joke or not. Um, but yeah, like I thought that was a, I thought that was a nice touch in, in, in its own way. Um, much like, uh, old man Marley and the pigeon lady in the prior films, we do have an older neighbor, I guess her name is Mrs. Hess and she lives across the street. But then again, like there, there's no like arc or development for her character whatsoever. I mean, like she wasn't like she didn't have a misunderstanding with her family. She wasn't dumped by her husband. She was just a cranky old lady who lived next door. And like there's this like tender moment towards the end of the film where like Alex says that she's like a tough old bird and Mrs. Hess calls him like a sweet young man. And I'm like, wait a minute, wait a minute. Where, where was this? Like. They, like, like y'all had no connection. Like, y'all weren't able to, I mean, like, the kid wasn't able to hear, like, what the old lady, the older lady, like, had gone through in her life to find out, like, why she was so mean. I mean, like, if they had a scene together where it, where it was, like, saying that, like, her husband died or she doesn't talk to her family or something, that would have made, like, the relationship, like, m- like much more sensible or be, like, understandable. Like, that's a good way to throw homage to the original film. Um. So, anyway... Uh, the traps in this movie, well, okay, these traps are really precise, but I'll be honest, some of them did make me laugh. Um, I actually thought that some of them were fairly clever for the most part. Um, like, I like the scene, like, where the trunk, uh, where the trunk full of books fell on the guys. I like, there's an electrocution scene. Um, let's see, there's one, one trap where, like, the Unger guy, like, gets, uh, stuck in, like, this molasses and mega blocks he gets like the mouse trap on his fingers he shoots the gun which hits the pipeline and like a bunch of crap like falls all over him i mean yeah like yeah, yeah like i said some of the traps did make me laugh but honestly like when it comes to traps give me the original movie any day um so the reviews of this film when it was released the reviews were not kind at all um in fact like i think some of them were even much worse than the previous two the one lone bright spot the one lone positive review was, of all people, the late, great Roger Ebert, which surprisingly, he didn't even like the first two, which I'm like, what? In his review, he claimed that the reason he liked it was because he was having a silly day, so to speak. And he thought that Alex D. Lins was a much better actor than Macaulay Culkin was. I mean, hey, you know, nothing against different people's views, but it's like, you know what? If you enjoyed the film, props to you. Props to you, Roger Ebert. Um, the box office. Uh, this, this made this made me chuckle a little bit uh, when I was looking up numbers for the box office. Uh, so it so it it comes out December of ninety seven, about two weeks before Christmas. Um, it debuts at number four, and and it barely beats its next competition behind him. So like the other popular films at the time were Flubber and Scream Two. Or like those were films ahead of 
ahead of Home Alone 3 at the box office, and Amistad finishes at number five. Now, keep in mind, Amistad is like a slavery drama directed by Steven Spielberg, uh, stars Anthony Hopkins, Matthew McConaughey. Here's the funny part. So Home Alone 3, like, barely beats Amistad at the box office by, like, 500000 bucks. Home Alone 3 debuted at around tw- 2,100 screens, okay? Amistad was at 300 screens. Now think about that. Home Alone 3 barely beat a film by $500,000, had 1,800 more locations than the film that, that was behind it. It's not a good sign, people. It's just, it's just not a good sign. And what made it worse was it had more competition the next weekend. I'll list those films for you and see if these sound familiar to you. So the three films that debuted the week after Home Alone 3 debuted in the theaters was Mouse Hunt, starring Nathan Lane, uh, which to me is a far better a far better family comedy than Home Alone 3 is. Uh, you had Tomorrow Never Dies, which was the second Pierce Brosnan James Bond movie, which is okay. It's no GoldenEye, but it's it's entertaining. And of course, the big granddaddy of them all, Titanic. Although to be fair, Nobody, and I think nobody, expected Titanic to be as big of a hit as it was. Um, I don't think nobody expected it to gross, what was it, like a billion dollars worldwide. Um, so yeah, needless to say, Home Alone 3 was completely doomed. Now, worldwide, it grossed around 79 to $80 million at the box office with like a but uh, on a $30 million budget. Although... Only 30 to 32 million of that came in the United States. Ouch. Although I do have to say, when I was researching this film and like looking up trailers, looking up clips online, this one seems to have a fairly reaction uh, from fans. Um, a lot of a lot of fans are saying, "Oh, this film is not as bad. Oh, it's fun. It's it's entertaining." Uh, there were even some people who thought it was better than Home Alone 2: Lost in New York. Which, go figure on that one. But look. I didn't mind watching Home Alone 3. Uh, when I was a kid, I really didn't like it. And I think it was primarily just the reason that because Macaulay Culkin was not in it. And I think that's why a lot of people tend to dismiss this one, because Culkin is not in it. Watching it as an adult, it's okay. I mean, it's not a horrible movie. Um, I, I still prefer Home Alone and Home Alone 2 Lost in New York any day of the week. But Home Alone 3, I was able to find... A few funny moments. Um, if I were to grade this on a scale of 0 to 10, and I don't know if I'll do this uh, grading for future films, but if I were to grade this film, I would I would give it a 5, like a 5 out of 10. So honestly, like, it's okay. I mean, you can, like, if you have kids, you could watch it with them, and, like, they, I'm sure they would get some enjoyment out of it. Uh, me, I thought it was okay. Would I watch it again anytime soon? Probably not. Um, but you never know. So, yeah, Home Alone 3 was the last film in the franchise to be released in the theaters. Um, There were two more films that were released. You had Home Alone 4, Taking Back the House, and then you had Home Alone 5, The Holiday Heist. Currently, as of this moment, Disney Plus is looking to do like a Home Alone revision, reboot, whatever you want to call it, um, as of of this recording. Um, Yeah. Probably won't watch that one, and to this day, I've never watched Home Alone 4 or Home Alone 5, and I probably never will. But look, like I said, if you like Home Alone 3, props to you. Um, Like, if you think it's better than 2, great. 
Um, that, and, and that's the importance of that's the importance of film. It's art, and you know, take it what you will. Some are going to like it more than others. Anyway, guys, those are my thoughts on Home Alone three. Hopefully, you enjoyed this review. And this is Mr. Birdman signing out. Take care, everybody.